Hi, I'm Thomas Clements, and this is the Zenith Ministries podcast. Welcome to our message of hope, security, and an exploration of true happiness. I'm glad you're here with us as we continue to share our stories of the many peaks and valleys of life and the beauty, truth, and goodness we were able to find in it. Please visit our website at zenithministries.com to connect with us to discover more. In 1789, the country of France was on fire with upheaval and violence during the French Revolution. It was a scary time as it seemed like just about anyone could accuse you of being an enemy against the revolutionaries and then you could be put to death. Not surprisingly, one of the main leaders of the revolution, Maximilien Robespierre, would have anyone who might be a threat to his power executed. It turns out that the people turned on him as well, and he was executed in 19, or in 1794. Uh, unfortunately for the people of France, when they sought for a mighty figure to fill the void left by Robespierre, none could be found because Robespierre had all of the leading intellectuals, the people most capable for the job, already executed. This problem would lead to the ascent of the general dictator Napoleon to take over, and then finally the monarch King Louis XVIII would take control after the final banishment of Napoleon. I find this all very interesting, like all that death and effort to overthrow a monarchy only to return to a monarchy. On top of that, it's interesting that we get the political language of right and left to describe political leanings from where people of certain views sat during the gathering of the political parties at the estate general amid the French Revolution. Uh, Naturally, those with more conservative thoughts on the state of things sat on the right side of the room, while the more liberal thinkers sat on the left. We do not have time to go more into that, but still, fun to look into if you have time on your own. Anyway, a major symbol connected to the French Revolution is the guillotine. This was deemed as a more humanitarian method of execution in which one is decapitated. Right, So a, a contraction was erected to hold the blade several feet in the air. The condemned person would then place their neck on the block below and things would happen to carry out the execution and chop off the head. I was thinking, how many of these contraptions were made? Was there just one? And what did they do with it after the last execution by a guillotine was carried out in 1979? I pictured them throwing it out and a poor chef uh, coming across it in a garbage heap. He cleans it up and tests the blade, which he is pleased to find still fairly sharp. He sharpens it some more and carries it to his kitchen. The chef then commences to use this instrument of death to chop carrots, potatoes, cheese, and meats. Surprisingly, he's able to be more productive and can cook enough to feed more people at his restaurant and provide more for his family. Something good to come out of what used to be so terrible. In this imagined story, we see that indeed there is nothing evil about the guillotine in and of itself. It is the intentions of the operator that classifies the work it does. Now, I'm not advocating for guillotines here, nor am I a guillotine salesman. I'm not trying to convince you to buy one. However, I do quickly think of other weapons of death found in our society that are being used to slaughter the innocent, and this could really be understood in the physical and spiritual sense. The obvious weapon to come to mind is a gun, which is not evil in the hands of a hunter or one defending the weak and powerless from other evils. Spiritually speaking, though, I thought of things like the internet, social media like Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Facebook. 
All of these can be operated by others with evil intentions to kill the souls of the innocent. And I'm not trying to generalize that everything found on these tools, because that is really what they are, tools. So not everything found on them is evil. There is a lot of good. However, a quick search on the internet of the word memes, something that should be fairly fun and innocent, can bring up uh, some awful and disgusting jokes and ideas that probably shouldn't leave people's minds. Certain things are being perpetuated by these tools, and I would like to add movies, shows, fashion, books, music, really anything that is meant to create and feed culture. So certain things are being perpetuated by tools that make for a culture that is detrimental to the human soul. These tools are used as guillotines to slaughter the innocent. Right before our eyes, we are witnessing countless souls being executed by these weapons of death, even though they are meant for more, I think, innocent purposes. The general agreement on the origin of crucifixion is that Persia and other countries in the Mediterranean began implementing this method of execution around the 6th century BC. This method was introduced to the Romans by the Phoenicians in the 4th century BC, and they then were able to perfect this practice just in time for when the promised Messiah arrived on the scene in Israel. The cross was a tool specifically used for death. I'm sure we could debate for hours on end concerning the death penalty in the modern world. However, at this time, I just want to look at the cross as the thing that killed Jesus. He was crucified and he was innocent. This was an evil act. Those involved put an innocent man to death. When he was told that the proposed Messiah came from Nazareth, the soon-to-be follower of Jesus, Nathaniel, joked, Can anything good come from Nazareth? At the time of his crucifixion, some might have similarly inquired, Can anything good come from killing this innocent man? Jesus said yes to both questions. The greatest good that ever graced this earth came through a weapon of death. Jesus turned an instrument of execution into an instrument of life. What was meant to cause finality and destruction now through Christ's work brings a new beginning and a new life. And so much more can be said about the beauty that God does in sacrificing His beloved Son. However, I think everyone gets the point that I'm trying to make with it. If a chef can use what was meant for death to prosper his family, if Jesus can bring heavenly glory for his followers from something that was meant to destroy him and his followers, what can we do with the things that others are utilizing for death of the innocent today? I have some thoughts. Real quick though, and (laughs) I get it, it seems really dumb for me to discuss and comment on a book I've never read. But I think I get the gist of it. I think I get the gist of it from what I've seen other people say about it on the internet. Okay, and and even if I'm wrong about the book, this way of thinking is out there and I completely understand it. I understand that it, it is necessary. Okay, so well, the book that I'm referring to is The Benedict Option. And, and my understanding of the main message, even though I've never read the book, my understanding of the main message is, is that it, it might be a better option for some people, in particular uh, families, to retreat from the world, you know, from the things I mentioned earlier, social media, other media, fashions and whatnot, so that they can grow in holiness. Pray hope and don't worry. This seems valid to me, right? Just like some people are called to enter into the cloistered or monastic life, some families are meant to retreat from the world to grow closer to God and pray for the church, the body of Christ. I think the rest of the church can benefit greatly from that. However, 
on the other side, people in the world who do not yet know Jesus still need to encounter Jesus. And I'm thinking that the Benedict option probably deals with this issue. Like the book probably talks about this. Uh, I wouldn't know because I, I haven't read it, but um, I'm sure I'm sure they probably talk about this and probably do it in a great way, very intelligent. But but what I'm saying is true. What I'm getting at is we need to transform the tools that might be used for the detriment of others, our society even. How can we transform weapons that are being used for death? How can we undo the savage destruction that the comparative culture of Instagram has wreaked on us? How can we uh, counter the cheapening of sex and its purpose of beauty that is spread by gross jokes on TikTok? Can we overpower the current of debauchery that streams seemingly endlessly on YouTube? I think it's possible, and I think a lot of good can come from it. Tremendous good. We can use these tools for good, but first we need to learn how to navigate through them. How can we shine in the world without allowing our flames to be extinguished by the flood of iniquity flowing through pop culture? Once again, a lot of great things are happening on these platforms as well as TV, movies, and music. And as long as good people have access to them, they will continue to convey beauty, truth, and goodness. But the next point of this episode is that we have to realize and accept that there is a lot of garbage that can hurt us and we need to navigate through it. We can counter this garbage and try to promote good things, but we need to make sure that we and our children don't fall because of it as well. So how do we navigate through all this? How do we teach our children to navigate through it? I'm going to assert that we navigate pop culture just like we read the Bible. That is right. Navigating pop culture is just like reading the Bible. I mean, have you read the Bible? (laughs) It is not exactly rated G or even PG. In the Bible, there is murder, sex, rape, violence, and some things I'm not even going to say on here. It's rated TVMA big time. Now, we have to understand that just because an action is conveyed in Scripture does not mean that God condones it. Many times, Scripture contains wicked deeds, and we are able to discover the ruin that befalls those who commit them as the story progresses. In one such story, we hear about Jacob in the book of Genesis, lying at the influence of his mother to his father, pretending to be his brother in order to get his father's blessing. Right? Jacob even goes as far as dressing in lambskin and wearing his brother's clothes so that his nearly blind dad would smell Esau's outdoorsy smell and feel his hairy arms. And this works. Jacob gets the birthright and Esau does not. However, the story goes on to say that Jacob goes away to find a spouse, never sees his mom again. They're they're separated for the rest of their lives, and he's then terrified that his brother will one day kill him. His brother eventually forgives him, but living in that fear must have hurt. In the New Testament, we see Judas take his own life from despair after he betrayed the Lord, his benefactor and savior. Peter escapes this fate due to asking for forgiveness as the tradition goes. And there are many other instances when misdeeds are punished in Scripture. Many might occur that that seem to not be punished, but the scriptural understanding that the Lord wields justice and mercy allows us to understand that only those who deserve eternal damnation will find their punishment. So we read Scripture with the understanding that it contains bad events and choices in it that we can learn from. We see the bad see the consequences, and know not to imitate. The benefit to the Bible, too, is that a lot is explicitly pointed out as well, like the Ten Commandments, the book of Proverbs, and teachings of Jesus, and that of his followers in the New Testament. 
So basically, we are looking at reading the Bible through a moral lens to discover what is right and wrong, which is what we should do with with social media, with movies, uh, news, books, music, TV shows, uh, everything on the internet we should view through a moral lens. So we do not want to sin or cause others to sin, but we can do something similar in our approach to pop culture and, and social media. If we encounter wicked deeds, learn the lesson from them and learn to avoid whatever causes downfall. Even if the medium through which I encounter this deed does not have the character suffer the consequences in the story, I still know that God has the final word and I can put that together on my own. Plus, I am amazed at how well my kids respond to me pointing out such things. So for an example, I just watched the entire original trilogy and the prequels of Star Wars with my kids. And first off, I have to say that we were so spoiled in the late 90s and early 2000s. The prequels are awesome. Why did everyone hate them? I don't get that. I really enjoyed them this time around. Even Jar Jar Binks wasn't that bad. Plus, the lessons I was able to point out to my kids about how Luke withstood temptation to join the dark side and the conversion of Darth Vader were tremendous. But the lessons were even better with the downfall of Anakin Skywalker in the prequels. Holy cow. Now, I did have to skip many scenes a lot more with my kids in the prequels. There is some crazy violence there, but I was able to show my kids how we need to control our anger and not give in to hate. And in the movies, Anakin really portrays well what happens when we don't do that. Furthermore, I'm able to paint beautiful analogies for the faith using any Disney movie. Like the the fairy godmother in Cinderella is like Mary helping us overcome the effects of sin. The importance of knowing who we are from Woody and Buzz in Toy Story. And then in Frozen, we can see that we are all born with special gifts and qualities that we shouldn't hide from the world. Have courage in being who God made you to be. And then we can talk to our kids about the weird stuff, like in Frozen's big song, Let It Go. They sing the words, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. We simply spoke to our kids about the meaning of this and how it's an incorrect understanding of the world, and they got it. They get it. I can't remember which song it was in Trolls World Tour, but my daughter heard a a similar line about something I can't remember. But she pointed out how it was wrong and then told me that she just pretended that they said something else. Kids are smarter than we think and take in a lot. It is up to us to provide them with the right lens to view the world. And with kids, we are very particular about what they watch, paying attention to not only the things like curse words and sexual promiscuity, but also look at more subtle things like, is this show portraying the idea that parents are morons and kids have all the answers and thus looking down on authority? Is this teaching my kids that romance is fleeting and temporary? Or does it portray too much romance between children or teenagers? If the answer is yes to any of these, then we simply avoid. We make sure that our kids still get some good exposure to the classics like Star Wars and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And in a couple years, the oldest two will definitely be able to see Jurassic Park for sure. But I also make sure my children have a chance to be bored as well and give them good books. Uh, give them time to just be quiet and, and be alone with their thoughts, you know, things to keep them using their brains. Something else I try to keep in mind about pop culture is that a lot of it is not real. And, and I teach my kids this as well. My daughter loves watching the Kids Baking Championship, and it's a great show. But I wanted to make sure that she understood that a lot of what the kids say and do is not from the kids. There is a team of writers helping to make that show more entertaining. 
I feel like a lot of people in the millennial and Gen Z generations are extremely depressed and suffer anxiety because they grew up comparing themselves to these characters in shows, movies, and reality TV who have their lives scripted for them. I did not want my daughter to suffer that, so I told her. Two days later, we were watching football, and she pointed out to me how the fast food commercial we were watching definitely did not use real food to portray their items in the commercial. I was so proud. And and there were, are so many more fake portrayals going on on social media, movies, and the messages and music as well. We don't have to simply be zombie consumers taking everything at face value. Let's look deeper into what we watch and listen to. Toss away what is fake or bad and keep what is good or can be used to teach what is good. This is exactly what St. Paul is telling us to do when he wrote in Philippians 4.8, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's be lights in the world. We can do this by staying close to Jesus in prayer and the sacraments, loving people and and what is good and hating sin. And then when considering what we should watch and do and listen to in the world, let's follow the instructions that St. John Bosco gave to his rowdy students. My children, jump, run, and play, and make all the noise you want, but avoid sin like the plague and you will surely gain heaven. Thanks for listening. Glad you joined us. Please help us out by subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. You can like and share it on social media if you think it might help someone else. Uh, Please subscribe to our email list as well. Just at the bottom of zenithministries.com, there's a place for that. We are now accepting signups for a one-on-one mentoring program, and that's found on our website too. Uh, Please come partner with us as we lead others to the heights of humanity.